The National Prosecuting Authority's investigative directorate has seemingly landed another big fish. In the latest high-profile arrest in the fight against corruption, former ESCOM CEO Marcella Koko was arrested in a dawn raid on Thursday last week. Together with his seven co-accused, he faces a string of charges, including corruption and money laundering. They appeared at the Middleburg Magistrates Court at an initial appearance for the case, which is related to millions of rand worth of contracts for work at Kusile Power Station. I'm Catherine Rice, a multimedia journalist for News24, and you're listening to The Story. This week, we're talking to Carl Cowan of News24 Investigations, and later on, we'll be talking to Jeff Wicks, also of News24 Investigations, who attended Coco's court appearance. Carl, thanks so much for your time. This was a very high-profile arrest, a pre-dawn police raid. Sounds pretty dramatic. Can you tell us why you think police carried out the arrest in that manner? So, Catherine, traditionally, the police like to surprise suspects in especially high-profile cases like these early in the morning so that they don't have time to get rid of any evidence, so that they don't have time to maybe flush a cell phone down the toilet, or as what happened in a recent case, which I can't really talk about too much, they arrested someone on the golf course and obviously he saw the police vehicles coming from a long way away and was able to format his cell phone. So this doesn't make it impossible for law enforcement to access the information that was on your phone. It just makes it a lot harder. So they do it in this way to sort of avoid people, you know, doing crazy things like trying to run away or delete stuff off cell phones or throw cell phones in the garbage bin or, or things like that. It's it's really a a very old school tactic. Uh, you know, you, you, you surprise people early in the morning while they're still groggy or asleep and it gives you a slight upper hand, you know, from, from a tactical point of view. What does this case stem from? What were the contracts allegedly involving corruption at Kusile Power Station that Koko was arrested for? So, so in this matter, it, it, it's a control and instrumentation contract that was awarded to a Swiss multinational company called Azia Brown Bavari, or ABB, as we know them more commonly. Uh, the contract was awarded in 2015, and it was worth about 2.5 billion rand. What Mr. Koko and his co-accused are being arrested for, however, are a series of schemes surrounding that contract, whereby they um, they they used a, a you know series of companies and trusts to effectively channel kickbacks from ABB getting this contract. So it's it's a it's it's very complex and it's very um, how can we say it's very convoluted. But what it boils down to is. Effectively, Mr. Koko is accused of using his influence within ESCOM to ensure that ABB was awarded this contract so that, you know, these kickback schemes could be put in place and that he and his family could make money from it. Among the accused are his wife and two stepdaughters. Can you tell us about the alleged kickbacks the family received and some of the holiday splurges they've been having? Yes, so the Kokos are accused of... of being paid a collective 38 million rand and this money was channeled obviously through a subcontractor to ABB called Impulse International to two companies owned by the two stepdaughters one of the stepdaughters was actually um, a a shareholder of Impulse International Coquetso and what happened 
they used this money, according to prosecutors, to go on holidays to Mauritius, to go on holidays to Zimbali, to France. Um, but the most solid evidence we have is that at least 14.5 million of that 38 million was channeled to a property in Middleburg called Drion Beitekant. Um, it's a bunch of little flats, you know, a sectional title, and these were renovated and upgraded by Mr. Korko's wife, Mosima, um, and they've been selling units in that complex after they've upgraded them with that money, and which is ostensibly, and they are accused of running a money laundering scheme through doing that. And they could be looking at some serious jail time if they're found guilty. You've been investigating corruption at ESCOM for years. How do you feel about these latest developments? Do you think the MPA's investigative directorate is finally getting somewhere? That's an interesting question. I, I think they're getting somewhere, yes, but I also think that they're still quite far behind on a, on a lot of other cases that are equally as important. But the arrest of Machela Koko and some of the people involved with him in, in these schemes is very important for one simple reason. He still holds enormous amount of influence at ESCOM. Many people at ESCOM see Mr. Koko as some kind of hero, as some kind of example of black excellence. And really, this should be a reality check to them. Um, being good at your job and being a good engineer, as Mr. Koko undoubtedly was and is, does not mean that that gives you a license to get yourself involved in all sorts of corrupt things. So what the investigative directorate is doing at this point is really trying to stamp its authority on 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 these massive state capture cases. And it's a good thing that there's progress. But again, and it's almost a cliche to say this, arresting someone is easy. Prosecuting them is something different. In this very specific case, you know, Mr. Corker has been all over Twitter talking about how, you know, he doesn't believe that there's a strong case against him and he welcomes these developments. But from my understanding of what this case is about and what evidence could potentially be led at trial here, I think Mr. Corker is in real trouble. And I think his family members are equally in just as much trouble. But it does sound like a very complicated case, Kyle. I mean, do you think the NPA's investigative directorate has finally been given the resources to prosecute cases like this? Because we've seen a number of high-profile arrests lately. Yes, we have. And that's a good thing. It shows progress. It shows forward movement. Now we are going to have to settle in and have the long, arduous wait for, for trials to actually begin. It's going to be a long time, I think, before we're actually sitting in a courtroom listening to evidence being led at trial in this matter or in other matters where, where former ESCOM and Transnet executives, uh, Nosh Singh, Brian Malefi, for example, were arrested. So it's it's important to, to understand that the ID is still a relatively young organization. I think with the leadership of Advocate Andrea Johnson, it's moving in the right directions. There's still a lot of work to be done to capacitate the ID with forensic investigation, uh, capacity with, with a whole bunch of things. They are moving in the right direction. I don't think they're quite where they want to be yet. Um, but when it comes to this specific case, I don't think that we're going to have to rely overly much on the investigative directorate's capacity for forensic investigation. I think the forensic investigations were done already. What we now want to see is the ID appointing a strong, uh, experienced criminal prosecutor to run this trial. Well, let's hope that happens. Thank you so much for your time. That was Kyle Cowan, investigative journalist for News24. We're now joined by journalist for News24 Investigations, Jeff Wicks. Jeff, thanks so much for your time. 
Coco was arrested in a pre-dawn police raid. That's pretty unusual, although Kyle was saying earlier it's it's a, a surprise tactic. What do we know about the circumstances of his actual arrest? Well, we know that he and seven others were arrested by um, members of the investigating directorate um, before the sun rose on that morning. And that was um, sequential raids at homes, both in Gauteng and in Pumalanga, where um, obviously he and his co-accused were taken into custody. Jeff, you were at court on Thursday last week. Can you describe the atmosphere? Was there a lot of security in the courtroom? Not particularly. Uh, these um, eight individuals would not be considered high-risk suspects in the traditional sense of the word. But I will say that the courtroom was bustling, especially from with the media cohort. There was a large contingent of journalists, all obviously jostling to get the first shots of Corko stepping into the dock. And when you think about Marcello Corko, he's a person who's got a very brash personality and he showcases that extensively on Twitter. And he's someone who has a very enigmatic air about him. And what happened in court was that was maintained to the best of his ability, but his posture and his body language, in my view, sort of belied his concern. What happened in court? They've, they were given bail, but are there some strict bail conditions attached to that? Yes, so the investigating directorate and obviously working hand in glove with the National Prosecuting Authority um, never set out to oppose the bail of these individuals. But what they wanted was very strict conditions and the strictest of those conditions, both in terms of what was expected of him and the amount that he needed to hand over to secure his freedom, was levied against Machela Koko. Um, The state asked that he um, be remitted on a bail um, amount of 500,000 rand, and also that he surrender all of his passports and commit not to leave the province where he lives. And that was, um, it's a fairly normal bail condition. Um, And in this instance, it's something that the NPA and the investigating directorate sought to um, go for directly was the fact that they didn't want Machila Koko and uh, many of his co-accused to be able to travel. And um, that obviously with the ultimate goal of securing their attendance at trial. When will they be back in court, Jeff? Uh, what actually happens next? So the case was adjourned for further investigation, and um, that's not um, investigation into the entire matter per se. But during the course of the arrests, um, things like laptops and cell phones were seized. So the investigation um, time that was requested was for the state to be able to process those devices to um, make mirror images of them and then go through those cell phones and laptops in um, minute detail. The case is going to return on the 23rd of March next year, and um, it doesn't seem like um, it, it will be a drawn-out affair. It seems to me that um, the state has their house in order and is um, fairly ready to proceed to trial, considering the length of time this, this case has been investigated for. Um, but that's not to say that any of the accused in this matter could launch interlocutory applications that would obviously slow the process down. Well, we look forward to your stories on that. Thank you so much. That was Jeff Wicks, investigative journalist for News24. That's all we have time for this week. I'm Catherine Rice. Join us again next week for The Story.